0: What up, world? Your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers on the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making the show your first listen. Coming at you every single weekday, Monday through Friday. So make it part of your daily routine. Make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked on Blazers, your team every day. In today's show. We're learning lessons from the playoffs. The Portland Blazers haven't played a meaningful game in two years. I would know because I've been talking to this microphone about them a lot. But I'm not going to let that deter me too much. I'm still watching and enjoying postseason basketball a great deal. And I have... I came away from this weekend thinking about the lessons the Blazers can learn from the playoffs. That's what we're going to do to uh, to begin this show is talk about the lessons we learned from the playoffs, specifically from the Sacramento Kings, some other sort of general lessons learned from the, couple, uh, from the opening round of the playoffs. And then we'll close the show talking about what the Phoenix Suns are doing with their TV deal. I don't know if it's replicable in Portland, but it is proof that ownership absolutely matters. We'll talk about that to close the show. But first, let's talk about the Sacramento Kings. I think the Kings are a pretty good example of what the Blazers are trying to do. It's not a perfect comparison, and I do not mean to draw it as such. But I think in sort of in function and the sort of broad outline of what the Kings did to remake a bad team into a good team relatively quickly, I think is the exact sort of blueprint-ish that the Blazers are trying to follow. And I think if you... If you if you te- well, let me tease that out a little bit. It's a reason that the Kings are both um, a clear sort of sign of optimism if you're a Blazer fan and a cautionary tale because the playoffs are a sobering reality. Let me let me give you the, the details on on sort of my thesis here. The Kings did what the Blazers are trying to do. They cashed in a young player. Tyrese Halliburton, in this case, Avery Simons, for a All Star or a an impactful forward. I'm not sure the Blazers trade for a guy who's made an All Star team, but say they do, right? Say they get their Demontis Sabonis. Uh, again, it's like they're starting in different positions, but let's say the Blazers the cash in their They cash in their young star, or their you know budding youngster for a for a veteran difference maker up front, then they make the right free agent signing. They get their Malik Monk, right? Their impactful free agent signing when they use their mid-level money to go do it. Then they make their trades around the edges, trading a first-round pick for someone like Kevin Herter, a six seven wing, who plays a little bit of defense, can shoot a little bit, and makes a dynamic offense. Then you get your draft picks right. You draft Keegan Murray, and while Keegan Murray might not have the highest ceiling, he's going to be an NBA player for a long time because he's already darn useful at what he does. The Kings transformed from a team that loses 50 games to a team that finished third in the West. Very reason for optimism. Now, the Kings did in a couple different cycles. The, the, the Sabonis trade happened at the trade deadline, and then they went into the offseason and made a few moves after that. The Blazers are trying to do this in one cycle. It's going to be a little bit harder, but if you think like the moves that they made at the trade deadline set up the larger moves, maybe it's maybe you can view it as two cycles, whatever it might be. They're, they're pretty talent poor right now, though. But the Blazers, or excuse me, the Kings went from a bad team to a good team. Finished third in the West. They're legitimately good, a tough team. And why I think they're a reasonable facsimile for the for the Blazers, or at least a reasonable blueprint outline kind of philosophy if to follow, is that the Kings weren't this team that became like something different than they were. They were like, it's a team that's not very good on defense. We're adding offensive parts, and we're going to be an elite offense, the best offense in the league, and we're still going to struggle on defense a bunch, but we're going to hurt people with our strengths. Our strengths are going to be so strong that our weaknesses matter a little bit less, particularly in the regular season. What we don't do well will not be as magnified because our strengths will be incredibly strong. We have so many ways to beat you. The Kings also hired a new coach. And they bought into the coaching system and Mike Brown is a really good coach and it helps. The Blazers are not going to hire a new coach this summer. So again, it's not like a perfect, it's not a perfect comparison, right? It's not like, it's not the new blood and new sort of invigorating, but but the bad to good with the type of moves the Blazers are after. That first big move to trade for the All-Star and the first... Um, and, and then the sort of ancillary moves around that to trade for the parts that make you make you tick, right? The Malik Monks and the Kevin Herders, which are not high-level all-star typey names. Like, Malik Monk looked great in the playoffs, but I don't think he was thought of super, super highly coming out of his season with the Lakers. It's like, yeah, the Duke can score off the bench. For the Kings, he was like a six-man-of-the-year type candidate. And deservingly so. I've said this, if, if you're an everyday listener, you know this. I am. I am pretty comfortable thinking the blazers have a path back to the middle that's pretty easy I think they can get back into the mix back into the hunt into that seven five through seven range uh, in the West I think they are talented enough Damian Loe is really good um Jeremy grant is a good basketball player Shane sharps on the rise assuming those three gentlemen are back and you make the right moves around the margins uh, and the big move right like you add an impactful frontline player of some of, of some flavor in in the trade market you add like a borderline all-star, someone who can, who can become an all-star quickly. You know, De'Aaron Fox wasn't an all-star this year. He is an all-star because the Kings are good. So some of it is just like, get good, you make the all-star team. It's a trick. It's a good trick. Um, but regardless, uh, I think the Blazers, have, I've said this a bunch, my, my everyday listeners will know, it's like, I think the Blazers' path back to the middle is, is maybe not clear, but it doesn't seem hard the path beyond that is hard. And so while the Kings are a reason for optimism, you can do it and the and the Kings did it. I don't the Blazers, the Blazers obviously can't follow the same path, but they can follow something similar. They lost to the to the Warriors in game 7 on Sunday. You are listening to a May Monday May 1st show. Welcome to welcome to May. Shout out to my uh, Justin Timberlake fans out there. Um it, it is indeed going to be May when you hear this one. Um but the the Kings, when they lost on Sunday after I'm recording this Sunday evening, it's like they faced the harsh reality of the NBA playoffs. An incredible season. Like, a, an, a to me, an undeniably good season. And straight up, probably a great one by most measures. And then they ran up into game seven and they played an all-time great player. And he put 50-piece on him, extra spicy sauce on the side. And they lose they go home. That is the challenge that I think I've been trying to talk about this offseason with the Blazers is that I I think they can get back to being decent. But that that tier, that circle to win a playoff series in the in the NBA, you do not fake the funk. No there are no bad teams in the second round of the playoffs. Why is my it's my favorite time of the year? You still get a game every single night. And there are no bad teams left. There are only you know, maybe some bad matchups and there's a bad series because some team is still way better than the other team. But there's no bad teams. You cannot fake it and win a playoff series. You can't be. The, the eight teams left in the playoffs right now are good. Those are good basketball teams. And the Kings were a good basketball team. And they didn't win at home in a game seven. They kind of got walloped at home in a game seven, quite frankly, because the third quarter just didn't go their way. Up four at halftime just didn't go their way. It's why the Kings are both, they are both a reason for optimism because it's like, hey, you can do it, and a cautionary tale. Like, okay, but step step, w- step, one to get decent is hard enough. Like, the Kings spent a long time in the desert. It's hard enough. But but that, to win a playoff series, this is, playoffs are just tough. It's, it's, it's really tough. Top-end talent matters. Experience matters. And I don't think playoff experience really, the way I believe playoff experience matters is the, stamina to make to not make mental mistakes. It's the stamina to keep up, to know the level of execution, the level of focus. It is the mental stamina to continue that focus and that level. And then it's sometimes just all-timers have all-time games and that's what Steph Curry did. Brought his team home with an all-time performance. A really special one I'll be in the first round. The Blazers should try to emulate the Kings' path, not the exact method but certainly emulate the King's path because it is possible. And I think Sacramento is possible. And if you get if, if the Blazers do that and they're like a 50-win team next year, it'll be impossible for me to say when they get into the playoffs they had a bad year. Impossible. If they're that competitive and that good in the regular season, and they end up in a similar like similar sobering scenario for me, it's a great year, but it is a reminder of how hard it is to win in this league. Some other lessons that I learned watching the playoffs. Things that I've learned. Over and over again, watching the NBA, but I think they were hammered home this weekend. And uh, it's a simple one. You want the ball. You want the ball. Let's let's talk about that lesson and why possessions matter in the postseason. But first, let me tell you about prize picks, this daily fantasy made easy. You can download price picks at pricepicks.com or you can use the app. I use the mobile app and you can play any sport you want, but I play the NBA and how it works is you pick between two and six players on every entry. Prize pick sets the line on statisticals on stats and you go over or under their statistical projections. So for me, it's things like points and rebounds, assists, steals and blocks. And each night in the playoffs, I can say, okay, Nikola Jokic is going to go over in points. He's going to go under in rebounds. I got uh, Jason Tatum scoring a bunch <laughs> and If I'm feeling froggy, I can pick six entries and say I'm gonna get all six right and win a whole bunch of money up to 25 times your money back. But you can set your own lines. Four out of six win some money. Five out of six correct predictions win some money. That's the great part. It's just you versus prize picks projection. So go to prizepicks.com right now or download the app to sign up and play daily fantasy sports and first time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON if you deposit 100 bucks Price fix gives you 100 bucks you deposit 50 bucks Price Picks gives you 50 bucks don't forget enter that promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 alright let's talk about some other lessons learned from the playoffs there are a thing there, there are a thing. <laughs> Sunday evening, grammar has escaped me. There's a thing in the advanced statistical world called the four factors. And what they are measuring, essentially, is who gets the most opportunities. It's turnovers and rebounds, foul shots. It's measuring who gets the most opportunities and uh, the Blazers have tried to introduce on in the broadcast a handful of times uh, via Corey Jez, their advanced stats specialist. I, he has a better title than that, but, but forgive me, Corey. I don't know off the top of my head. But what all that is, is the very simple idea that if you have more chances to score than the other team, you're going to win most times, unless the other team shoots the friggin' lights out, which is the other part of the four factors. It's just like shot making can beat opportunities. But the way to win in playoff basketball is chances. And that was hammered home this weekend. Uh, For me, it's been a theme, a consistent theme throughout the postseason. Teams uh, in a league where offensive rebounding has been super de-emphasized over the last decade, teams that have gone to the glass and crash hard, give themselves more opportunities to win the friggin' game. And teams that are really big and stay big and can control the glass have a chance to win the game. The Lakers when they went small against the Grizzlies, had trouble. And then in the end of the series they said, okay, we're not going to play those weird LeBron at the five lineups. We're going to put Wendy and Gabriel in. We're going to at least have like someone who's at least along and play to our strength and stay big. But when they started the games big with with Vanderbilt and with with Anthony Davis and with LeBron on the front line, they hammered the Grizzlies on the glass and the Grizzlies' lack of size was a big problem. It was they just they just couldn't hang. In the second round of the playoffs, Phoenix goes into Denver, and Denver opens up a 20-point lead by virtue of taking 17 more shots through three quarters. 17 more shots. Uh, The Suns, you know, they're not going to shoot three-pointers. They have like three of the greatest mid-range shooters the league has ever seen. They're just going to shoot from the mid-range and hope that 55% from two beats 35% from three. The math isn't perfect, but the way it can't you can't win that math battle if you give up 17 more shot attempts and you don't take threes. I think Phoenix actually might be fine taking twos. Like, Kevin, give me give me Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker taking shots they can make and 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 don't give up 17 more attempts. But Phoenix turned the ball over way too much in the first half and got crushed on the glass. So they are down 1-0 against Denver because they didn't have as many opportunities. On Sunday, in Game 7 in Sacramento, the Warriors down 4, on the road, and what do they do? They absolutely dominate the possession battle in the third quarter, and the third quarter changed the game. Found themselves up 10, heading into the fourth, and held on. Uh, Sacramento just didn't have enough juice down the stretch to, to get all the way back, and they didn't shoot that well. Golden State had 13 offensive rebounds in the third quarter, and through the first 10 minutes of the third quarter, they committed one turnover. Thirteen second shots, some of those are like you know you you try to tip it in and miss it, tip it in again, and one turnover. They crush them in the possession battle. Uh, in that same stretch, uh, Sacramento only turned the ball over twice. Very 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 clean quarter in terms of uh, turnovers. But thirteen, the Warriors you know can get a little sloppy. Their their biggest weakness is probably they'll turn the ball over in bunches and they foul a lot. Um, and those two things like. Uh, we'll see if that comes up in the second round, but like they didn't give up a bunch of free throws. So that's opportunities. They didn't turn the ball over and they got a bunch of second chance opportunities. The, The Warriors also missed like somehow every single free throw they took in the third quarter. If they make those free throws, the game's a blowout heading into the fourth. It's a blowout turned into a pretty easy win, but it's a blowout because they dominated the possession battle. You can't win in the playoffs if you are a team that gives up extra possessions. And guess what? Your Portland Trailblazers did that all stinking year long. There was a time for most of this season when the Blazers turned the ball over more than any other team in the league. They were loose with it. Some of it was they were trying a bunch of sort of um, get Dame off the ball type of offense stuff. Some of it was Dame had his... uh, uh, career high in turnover percentage for going for most of the season and finished re- with it. But he was like way, 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 way below his career levels and then he ended up like kind of at his career levels by um, by the end of the season. But he, but they were loose with the ball. Loose with the ball all year. It was a huge problem. Huge problem, particularly early in the season. I think that's um, probably like 60, eh, 70, 30 players over coaching. But certainly scheme is a, a big part of it. 30% to me is a, is a large percentage, maybe small to you. But they turn the ball over a bunch. And they're a bad rebounding team. That's not the makings of a playoff team that wins. So if if Portland wants to transform this summer, they want to follow that path, that's, I don't know if Sacramento laid out, like I'm kind of maybe, it's like the Blazers are not going to be the Kings. So um, if they want to follow the path to get good, part of that has to be addressing those problems. If they do trade Amphrey Simons, which they might, um, Ant was, is, was uh, not super uh, clean with the ball. He was not super, super, he had some turnover issues, particularly in bunches when he would just get like uh, the teams would get really physical with him and he wouldn't be strong with the ball, although he got better, certainly better in that regard as the season went on. But he started the year just like having some issues with it. But if they do trade Ant and they do make the big trade, they're going to need another ball handler. And they're going to need more rebounding. They're just going to need it. If you're if you're going to and they're going to and then when they do and it's like we'll talk about it. But like, if you're going to commit a bunch of money, thirty million dollars a year to Jeremy Grant, which like, they basically should at this point, right? If you let Jeremy Grant walk, it's a mistake. They screwed up the whole they screwed up the whole plan. The, how much they pay him is another conversation. But they absolutely need to pay him. But if you're going to pay Jeremy Grant a whole bunch of money, he's never been a good rebounder, and he's pretty much a power forward. Like he could play either spot, but he is slow footed enough and not enough of a playmaker that you'd probably want him to naturally play four on offense. on defense is another another question like I think again the slow footed I think you probably want him to play four, but the real solution for the blazers is get someone else that plays forward and so we don't know what position anyone plays. We say they got two forwards they're both six foot nine and they do some stuff and one of them's better at rebounding. That's the trick. That's what they need to do. They don't need to worry about, okay, we need a power forward and get Jeremy Grant to play small forward. They just need another big forward who can rebound and probably play make a little bit. But the Blazers were 22nd in defensive rebound percentage this year. 22nd in the league. 22nd in the league. Bottom 10 in the league. and bottom. They finished 22nd in defensive rebound percentage, 22nd in turnover percentage. And I'm only counting those numbers through March 22nd, ironically enough, because that's the last game Dame and Ant and Nurk played. That was the shutdown game. I'm not counting the garbage time game where they're actually cleaner with the ball somehow, but it's just, that's not the Blazers. Like uh, with all due respect, like uh, and Williams and Williams and, and Skylar Mays and and at all and a whole bunch of Kevin Knox is just like not the team that's going to play next year. All those dudes could conceivably be on the roster, but all like to me, um, that's just not them. So I cut it off at March 22nd. The Blazers 22nd in turnover percentage. So the bottom eight, bottom eight in the league or eighth worst team team in the league in terms of turnovers. Bottom 10 in defensive rebound percentage, 22nd in the league, one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league. To win at the next level, you have to value possessions. The Blazers, if they're going to win and they're going to follow the path, the way you win in the playoffs is opportunities. There are, like, I'm, I'm hitting you with rebound percentage and turnover percentage, and I mentioned the four factors at the beginning of this segment, but like... You don't need. You do not need a pocket protector and and glasses to figure this out. You want more chances to shoot. And the Blazers were a team that didn't. They didn't offensive rebounds. Like they didn't get themselves second chances either. Twenty second offensive rebound percentage, bottom eight in the league in offensive rebound percentage. They didn't get second chances. They didn't prevent second chances, and they turned the ball over a lot. Those are areas they must improve because that's what wins at the that's what wins in April and May. Worry about June some other time. Oh dream about June. Let's worry about April and May and dream about June. The path has to be valuing possessions, a thing they absolutely did not do this year. Okay, to close the show. Sun's got a new owner and they're going to eat a bunch of money to make it easier to watch th- their ba- team play basketball. It is the dream scenario for fans, something that Blazer fans should dream about. Let's talk about if it's realistic at all and why it's a true dream scenario. In the third segment, join me there, won't you? Still a pass, first point guard. I'm still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked On Blazers. This week, the Phoenix Suns announced under new ownership Matt Ishbia, who bought the team right around the trade deadline, just before the trade deadline, that signed off on the Kevin Durant trade. That they're moving all their, their, uh, I've covered a bunch of the show is that regional sports networks are dying. Um, They're dying. The model is going to die and it's going to, we're going to watch sports, local sports in another way at some point. People still watch sports on TV, but they don't really watch cable. So something's going to happen and the Suns are out in front of whatever that something looks like because they are pulling their broadcasts of the of the games the of the Suns and the Phoenix Mercury off of uh Bally Sports the regional sports network that has filed for bankruptcy and they're just going to put them they're just going to put them on broadcast TV. They're just going to be on local TV for free. So you can watch all 82 games of the NBA season for free and all 40 games of the WNBA season for free. And Matt Bea said there's always a way to make money. It's about marketing and he was specifically talking about the sons and the quote that, that I read but it's the same damn thing here's the problem the other part of this story as, as, as reported uh, across a bunch, uh, a couple different places but I've I read it in ESPN as, as well as, as as the athletic but they're going to lose a bunch of money doing this <laughs> says they're going to lose tens of millions of dollars a year. A big way that sports teams, particularly in non-glamour markets, make money is they sign a favorable local broadcast deal, and that's a big part of their income. What the Suns are doing is they're saying, I don't give a hoot about that. We want people to be able to watch the games because it's marketing let me let me tell you what i mean by that the suns have kevin durant chris paul devin booker deandre Ayton, a fourth an interchangeable fourth player josh kogi tory Gregg. for some reason never Terrence terence ross under any circumstances only when they're getting shelled does he get to play but what what ishpia what the suns ownership is betting on is that you make the money on the back end. You might hemorrhage money, but the team is going to be pretty darn competitive and incredibly popular. So more people are talking about them. So more people are watching them. So more people are buying merchandise. So more people are invested. So you want to buy more tickets. So you want to go to regular season games. So you want to go to playoff games and you can, pr- you can run up the price of the brick because if there is more demand because it's more popular because you're reaching more homes going to make money on the back end now up front you might lose a whole bunch of money and i think it's this is pretty specific to the phoenix market where there's uh you know where there's football um professional football or college football at least arizona state is popular from what my, my understanding of the phoenix market you've got the arizona diamondbacks who i don't think are particularly popular but are uh surprisingly good at baseball this year that's right i know something about the i know something about the nl west uh it's like They're in a market where there is competition for eyeballs and just making it easier to get eyeballs as a way to market the team seems really stinking valuable. And it's why ownership matters because someone who's fabulously wealthy and understands how NBA teams work say we can lose money because I'm going to own this thing for 30 years and I'm it's going to increase in value by like. A percent and a half a year, so by the time I sell it, it'll be worth thirty percent more than when I bought it. So I bought it for uh, whatever the valuation was, like four billion dollars to buy the the both both basketball teams and the and the facility. And it's like, uh, sure, tight. Like it's gonna increase by by thirty percent by the time I sell it. So my stake that was, you know, he didn't buy he didn't buy the outright. He's not a hundred percent owner or whatever, but he's a majority owner. So his stake, which was, you know, say he paid. $3 billion of those dollars. Cool, you make a billion bucks. You're just making a billion bucks on the back end. A billion dollars. That means you can burn $10 million on broadcast television knowing that it'll help you drive tickets, butts in seats, which helps you, if there's demand, increase the price because there's people who want to put butts in the seats. It helps you get renewals for season tickets, which is the main thing that NBA teams want to do, and it helps you sell a whole bunch of playoff tickets because people are invested because eyeballs win. Ownership matters because knowing that doing something immediate, okay, I own the team, I'm making an immediate channel where there's going to be on on television and streaming as well. So if you're out of market, you can just stream the games. So it is why ownership matters. I'm going to do something bold. I'm going to do something immediately. And I'm going to do something for the fans because the money doesn't matter because I know I'll make it back. Because the asset is appreciating, sports teams always get more valuable. Pretty much no example in the history of American professional sports of a team becoming less valuable. We're talking about a hundred years of evidence to suggest these teams always be always appreciate. Losing money isn't that big of a deal because a loss, a team operating at a loss, can like. I don't want to get too deep into this, but there are some valuable tax loopholes for for businesses that operate a, at a significant loss, particularly at the scale that NBA teams do. Ownership matters because this is a something that is a directly beneficial to fans. is against the money making principles that other of his peers are following, and and straight up admitted the truth there are always ways to make money we will make our money back knowing we're going to lose money up front could the blazers follow this i don't know there isn't the competition for eyeballs in the portland market so there's less incentive to say make it free so everyone can watch because who are you really competing with like first of all the blazers are on the mariners channel um obviously the like mls teams and and nwls teams it's like or in WSL, like those aren't <laughs> those aren't competing at the same level as as the NBA. The Seahawks is just like sort of. I guess you're competing with the Ducks and the Beavers football. Like you're competing with college football and a little bit of the NFL, but you're competing with the NFL as a whole, not like regionally. I, don't, I think there's not much incentive to do it. But if you're rooting for like why, among the reasons why having like deep pocketed don't give a heck owners matters, it's stuff like this. It is saying is doing a fan first aggressive move because you know that the money doesn't really matter because you'll make it somewhere else. Or it's funny money anyways because you just bought a four million dollar frivolity, four billion dollar frivolity. I don't think Portland can follow it. But man, is it great for fans. Man, is it great for fans. And it would be great for you, Blazer fans, because you'd be able to watch your team if you live locally. You'd be able to stream the games if you don't live locally. It would keep you connected. It would be, there is value in just the, hey, let's hey let's get eyeballs on this. And the Blazers have found a way to get more eyeballs on it. For, for sure, like their deal with Comcast, et cetera. And the, like, and the, uh, the, larger broadcast territory into montana and the rocky mountains and alaska or whatever i guess that matters but to me putting the games for free on kgw back where they belong baby um it would be really wonderful for fans undeniably wonderful for fans and um i'm just never gonna root for billionaires to make more money give us give it to us for free make it easy to watch that's just the news of the week. I thought uh, closing the show with that. That's a that's a real uh, an interest for me. Guess what? We're going to do more player reviews the rest of this week, and I'm, I'm trying to line up an interview. We're trying to do an interview every week of the offseason, including and we'll roll out our player, re- player reviews. We're heading into draft season. Who knows the place to make a draft pick, but we're heading into draft season regardless. So it should be a bunch of fun. Uh, tomorrow's show, we're going to talk Trent Watford. And we're going to talk Drew Eubanks, a double player review episode. Uh, come back and listen to that one. That's Tuesday show. We'll do five more of these. We'll do five of them every week. So come join us. Tell your friends to do the same. Make it your first listen. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.